0: Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now, here's your host, Dale Dixon.
1: Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to be a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, alongside Ron Price. Ron, great to be with you today.
0: Dale, it's terrific to be with you again. And and we've tried to have this conversation a couple times now. and We've had technical problems, so I'm really looking forward to it.
1: If we were to pull back the curtain on um, the challenges that we've had with this one episode, if we can get through this, it will be um, one. (laughs) <laughs> For the record books, beyond well, let's give we're, it a go.
0: <laughs> we're
1: way beyond third times a charm. Uh, if we yeah. pull back the curtain and let folks know what, exactly what's happening between microphones and cameras and all kinds of things, but it's um, we're here. It's a good conversation because it's really a continuation as we talk about leaders as thinkers. So let's start with a recap of. Uh, high level view of where we've been in this conversation around thinking, because I know it's really changed some of the way I think about this and has really broken up some long held beliefs and understandings around this whole area of thinking and how we work. And I'm thinking if anybody who has read uh, and thought about Simon Sinek or Daniel Kahneman, you've, you've been disrupting some of those, those works.
0: Yeah. And, Um, although I think our conversation can be valuable for anybody, I've really been thinking a lot about senior leaders and how important thinking is for them because senior leaders make decisions that impact so many people and they change the trajectory of a company and of those people in the company, their families, their customers. So that's what got me started about how we need to take another look at what thinking is. We talked about how we've got more information than ever, but we're being trained to think shallow. We're not really thinking deeply enough. And of course, everybody understands that's because we get all these notifications coming across our phone all day long. And um, our attention span is now, I understand, something like eight seconds. And, And what I was advocating for in that episode is that we need to take time to get away from all the noise and to think, deeper and longer about the things that are most important. I referred to um, Albert Einstein and how important getting out on walks and just thinking and being alone was to him and his discoveries. In episode 136, we talked about how there are a lot of different ways of thinking. There's creative thinking and analytical thinking, and there are a lot of different skills in thinking. So there are a lot, that was really too much for me to summarize other than that we were talking about the diversity of different ways of thinking and how we should tap into that and consider how different approaches to thinking can help us in our lives and in the work that we do. In episode 137, then we shifted gears and began to talk about the relationship between logic and emotion in thinking. And this is what you said was a little bit disruptive because I've spent a lot of time studying neuroscientists and what they say is literally going on inside the brain in the relationship between logic and emotion. And it's not so distinct as we like to think. It's, it's a much more blended uh, dynamic of what's happening in the brain. We, um, we, we really exposed the myth of the triune brain, and that's not true. We have one brain, and neuroscientists have known that since the 1990s. So we talked about that, and what the implications of that are for how we think about thinking. So that brings us to today. I'd like to talk a little bit about consciousness and then that will lead us into a little, some conversation about conscience. So we begin with consciousness, unless I've missed something that you'd like to say before we go on.
1: No, I think that covers it.
0: Yeah, great. So conscience, our consciousness is a really interesting concept that as far as we know only relates to human beings in uh, the world that we live in today neuroscientists are still having a hard time defining what it looks like at a um, physiological level at watching what's actually happening in the neural pathways and where's consciousness where is it not they have not come up with a really good definition for it yet But psychologists have a pretty good definition through their lens of the way that they define the human experience. They describe consciousness as awareness and then choice. So they're they're first talking about that we as human beings have this ability to be aware or to evaluate and to self-evaluate. So I can evaluate me, evaluating me, evaluating me Ad nauseum that this is a capacity that we have, that as far as they tell us, as, uh, as far as they can tell us, unique to human beings. Of course, if animals had that capacity for consciousness, they'd have to be able to talk to us for us to know that, to understand it. And a lot of what animals do out of instinct, we we tend to apply a human definition to, so that we think that our dog is actually a person who's a part of our family. And I don't want to. Tread on that dangerous territory, because I know how precious dogs can be to all of us or other kinds of pets. But, But what psychologists believe at this point, and it has not been disproven by any of science, is that we're unique as human beings in our ability to evaluate, to think about, to be in this present moment of considering and evaluating And it makes us both the noun and the pronoun. So I'm thinking about me, thinking about me, thinking about me. So it sounds like a little bit of a a brain teaser, but the idea is that this is quite an amazing capacity that we have that sets the stage for us to begin to develop a sense of right and wrong, a sense of good and bad that's unique to us.
1: And just to be clear, we're not, and and when we think about we're thinking about it from the standpoint of evaluation, self evaluation. It's not about being me focused or I focused in this case, but it's it's interesting cause I'd like, I'd like to hear you dive into this idea of awareness. It, I always pay attention when I I start to see recurring themes and yesterday I had two conversations around this. First was with former law enforcement officer talking about personal safety and how people just are not self-aware walking into a situation. They've got earbuds in hands on their head, not aware of anybody who's around them, not aware of how they're walking into a situation. Um, And then uh, we're getting ready to send our daughter on an international trip. And we were meeting with the group that they were going on and, and they were implored, don't be the typical American who is, who walks in completely unaware of their impact or what's happening around them, um, loud, things like that. And I just thought this is interesting. And then today you start talking about this idea of self-awareness. So is it an area where, because there is so much noise in our world that we've, we've lost this connection with ourselves and being self-aware,
0: I think you've touched on a lot of things. Uh, Some of it is that it's one of the ways that we cope with all the noise around us is that we figure out how to ignore it. Something as simple as noise canceling earbuds um, makes us less aware of what's happening around us and and it has a positive and it has a negative uh, impact in our lives, but if you think about it, and I think about this more now because of having grandchildren, babies that are growing up, we're not, we're born, not being very conscious we're born not being very aware of what's going on and if you think about the early development of a child a big part of it is them becoming aware of themselves and what's going on around them so they become aware of their fingers and they put them in their mouth or they they become aware of some part of their body and then they start to become aware of things around them we have a granddaughter right now who's about seven months and in the last month or so she's become aware of what other people are eating and she is, she now insists on sitting at the table during dinner. At first that was okay. Now she insists at having some food. And of course, the she's not really able to digest that food yet at her age, but she's gotta have something that she's putting in her mouth. All of that's growing out of this developing awareness and as our brain continues to develop and we get a little bit older, that awareness begins to cross over into more choices. It begins, I like this, I don't like this. And it begins to become more of a conscious awareness of, of, of good and bad. So she she will begin to learn that it's not good for her to knock over the plants. Right now, she knocks over the plants and thinks it's really funny. But she'll become aware that that's not a good thing, and then she'll become aware that it's not good to walk out into the street. And until that awareness develops, her parents have to keep an eye on her, and prevent her from doing something that she that would be dangerous for her because of her lack of awareness. So this happens very naturally. It's a part of the biological development of the brain. But what happens is there's a certain point, usually around 16 to 25 years old, somewhere in that range, where um, our brain has finished developing its judgment capacities. And we tend to just take it for granted. And at this point, we either have to make a choice to to continue to grow and increase our awareness, or it plateaus out. And, and so this is what learning is about, but it's not just learning uh, for the sake of learning, but we begin to think about how can I be the best me? How can I be a contributor to society around me? These are adult kinds of questions that we begin asking. And if we, if we give ourselves to that kind of reflection, that kind of thinking, we can continue to increase our consciousness the consciousness can be awareness of what's happening around us. So I become more aware of the beauty around me. I become more aware of danger, as your law enforcement friend was saying. And it can also turn inward, where I become more aware of my emotions. I become more aware of how I'm responding to different situations. I, uh, for instance, uh, one of the things that happened for me as a part of this process is our adult children would come home and tell stories of what it was like when they were growing up and I would be dumbfounded. I would say, we were at the same place and we had two totally different experiences. So part of how my awareness grew was I recognized, wow, I was living that experience through my awareness. They were living it through their awareness. They were two very different things. And it made me rethink a lot of what happened as they were growing up and both the positive and the negative impacts of that that happen. This is all a part of growing greater and greater awareness, which then leads us to making better and better choices.
1: And just being cognizant of the fact that um, everybody is experiencing something different based on this idea of self-awareness is-
0: That all by itself is increased awareness. In emotional intelligence, we refer to this as self-awareness, and social awareness. So it's I'm more aware of myself, but I also become more aware of what's happening with others. And of course, this is a tremendous skill for leaders to nurture, for them to develop, because the better they get at understanding what's happening inside of them and understanding what's happening with others, the more positive influence they can exert in whatever situation they're leading in. Yeah, so that leads us to, okay, at some point, conscience, is not where I begin to make choices. It's where I begin to recognize the difference between good and bad, or good and evil. think mean, evil kind of sounds like a bad word to use, but most of us as adults have a pretty good development of our conscience in understanding absolute good and absolute evil. So we understand absolute good might be a tremendous act of sacrifice out of love for somebody else or a a commitment out of love and absolute evil might be the taking away of somebody's life in an unjust way that though we can we understand those extremes but really conscience is the development of the discernment between good and evil for everything that's in between there are degrees of good and degrees of bad that are the way that we begin to develop our conscience. And that some of it happens as a result of growing up. It's sort of a broad stroke, a a macro level. But to develop conscience at a more precise level, a more nuanced level, takes a lot of effort on our part.
1: So do you have some examples that, or an example that would help clarify this?
0: Yeah, let me give you one that's really easy. So I'm going to take you into a car lot and a used car lot, and they're going to be two cars right next to each other. They're the same year, the same model, the same color. One of them has been detailed, and it's it's waxed, and it's shiny, and you don't see any defects, and it's just a beautiful car. The other one is dirty, and it's got a dented fender, and some lights are broken. And I say to you, Dale, I'm going to give you whichever car you want. It's your choice. Which one would you pick?
1: I can't drive it first. No. I have to look at it and make the decision. Yeah.
0: And and one of them looks near perfect and the other one is really beat up badly.
1: I'm high I'm a highly skeptical suspicious person. Um I know that <laughs> the the normal human reaction is going to be to go with the sh- the shiny good looking car.
0: Yeah. So let me get, take it one level further. I'm going to tell you that you can go ahead and drive both of them so you go drive one And the shiny, good-looking one just purrs, and it's got a lot of power. When you push the accelerator down, you get immediate thrust. And you drive the other one, and the other one's making a lot of noise. There's some kind of uh, racket going on underneath the hood or something like that. Now we come back to the parking lot, and I say, so which one do you want? It's yours. Take the shiny one. Yeah. Yeah. So you have just discerned between good and bad and and you've used a certain set of criteria where you're looking at a variety of properties for each car to decide how you compare them with each other and which one you consider to be good and the other one you rejected because you said there are a lot of bad things i've identified about this car that's a pretty easy demonstration of what we mean when we talk about conscience but it becomes much much more subtle so for instance on on the good side degrees of goodness we could say um, what if we were talking about the difference between a scientific experiment and an assembly line? Which one is better than the other? Ah, that becomes a lot more difficult to sort out. And, and so we've got to develop some much more sophisticated tools of evaluation to be able to tell whether a scientific experiment or an assembly line is better, or we could look at the, the, the nuanced bad side, we could say, What is bad or a misunderstanding or a blunder? They're sort of close to each other, but they're still different. And that's very nuanced. And this is a great example of what we talk about when we talk about honing or developing your conscience so that you have a greater capacity to discern the difference between degrees of good or degrees of bad. And um, in, in business or in philosophy, this might be described as the study of ethics. But it becomes very, very complex and it becomes very much uh, individual opinion. So how do we how do we develop conscience in a way that's consistent and that we know we're doing a better job of making these judgments? That's that's a lot of what we talk about when we talk about moving from consciousness to conscience.
1: I was going to say, let's let's break this down and talk about how do we start to build this skill?
0: Yeah, so. we we have been building it throughout our lifetime, but when we begin to take more responsibility for building it. Uh, what what we need to do is we need to be able to challenge our thinking in these different nuances and degrees of good or of bad. And so one of the ways that I would teach young people, maybe an eighth grader or a ninth grader is I would begin to give them choices. Of fact, we sort of did this with our kids when they're growing up. I would say, I remember especially our youngest son, I would say, Would you rather go to uh, the water park or would you rather go to the miniature golf? And he would pick which one. And I would say, Okay, he would let's say he said the water park, I'd say, Okay, would you rather go to the water park or would you rather go to a baseball game? And he'd say, The water park. I'd say, Okay, would you rather go to the water park or would you rather go to Disney World? Oh, Disney World. What am I doing? I'm actually teaching him to make choices between two alternatives, where essentially he's making, he's thinking about making a decision about one is better than the other. And of course, that's very subjective and it's not going to be the same from one person to the next. But we do the same kind of thing when we look at ethics, when we talk about making decisions about how I deal with a customer, how I deal with an employee how do I compare the performance or the results that we need we need to get in our business with how I treat my employees is it okay for me to berate my employees if it gets us to the results that we're looking for or is it okay for me to compromise the results because I have an employee whose spouse is going through cancer treatment right now these are all ways that we hone or fine-tune our development of conscience in the real activities the real um, situations that we run into. But if you look at Stephen Covey, who wrote a lot about this, I think it was in his book, The Eighth Habit, Find Your Voice and Help Others Find Yours. He talked about one of the ways we develop our conscience is through reading what he referred to as wisdom literature. So the reason that a lot of people still advocate for reading the classics, going back to the Greek classics or the Roman classics or the uh, English classics like a William Shakespeare or um, Charles Dickens or people like that is that they present us with conundrums of right and wrong, of good and bad, and they get us to think about those things. For me, one of the ways that I continually do it is through reading the Bible, because the Bible has so many stories in it that are juxtaposing right and wrong, good and bad, making choices, making good choices versus bad choices. And so it's a great way, I think, of exercising or further developing my conscience. Um, Ultimately, the question becomes, could we actually develop a science of understanding good and bad that would lead us to higher levels of the development of our conscience, which have tremendous implications in the way that we think as leaders? And maybe that's good for our next conversation because that leads us naturally into something that is referred to as formal axiology or the formal study of good and bad.
1: Once again, Ron Price, you've given us a lot to think about in this. That will be the focus of our next conversation as we continue to grow this skill of leaders as thinkers. Uh, take a moment and just share with folks the number of resources that are available at thecompleteleader.org, the website, and it's a membership site. Um, you can go there and learn so much that goes in parallel with the book, "The Complete Leader" by Ron Price and Randy Lisk. Um, anything you want to add on that?
0: Yeah. Well, I've dedicated the last decade of my career to wanting to create a community where people who want to grow their leadership effectiveness can come and learn from each other, help each other, but also have access to a lot of great content. So the Complete Leader community is a a subscription, monthly or annual, whichever you choose, where we have three live events every month virtually that you meet other leaders and listen to them talk about how they're exploring leadership has over 700 resources that includes all of the podcasts that we've done together and lots of videos, blogs, coaching guides. What we really want to do is provide the best content possible around becoming a great leader. We want to create a, a gathering place where you can meet other people who are helping grow leaders, whether they're coaches or facilitators or consultants and where you can hang out with other people who have this great desire to become the best version of themselves, to discover and pursue their greatest potential. And in in our small way, I believe that this is how we make the world a better place is by helping people become the best version of themselves. So you're right, it's thecompleteleader.org. And if you go there, you can find out about everything that's available to you.
1: And if folks wanna reach out to you directly, the email address,
0: It's Ron at Price-Associates.com.
1: Okay. So there you have it. All the ways to stay connected. And until next time, this is the Complete Leader Podcast. Everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.